Hi, you're listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist Church. These resources are not designed to take the place of a local church, but we hope they will encourage you on your journey with Christ. For more information about how you can connect with the Second Family, visit mysecond.family. This sermon was delivered live at our Greenbrier campus. Thanks for listening. Have you heard, um, have you heard the saying, get ready to meet your maker? You heard that? Like usually if you hear that, that's not a good thing, right? Uh, that means like something bad's about to happen, like you're about to be punished in some kind of way or you know, I know parents say that sometimes or whatnot. Um, whenever I, uh, I, was, I was in school, I played football growing up and um, one time we were going to play this team called Millwood. And Millwood, I know that means nothing to you, but if you were from Oklahoma like I am, you would know that Millwood is like state champs every year and they're really stinking good. And my football team, we were not very good. Um, we, we just weren't. And uh, so we, we had this game, and we had to go to Oklahoma City and play Millwood um, there at their place. And so um, our principal, our administration, our coaches, they came up with this idea like, these dudes are about to get slaughtered. Um, but, but maybe we can like boost their spirits and have like a real underdog type of story kind of thing. And so what they came up with was we didn't leave at the typical time that we would travel to a game. We left several hours early and we went up to Oklahoma City and they took us to go see the movie Friday Night Lights. You know what I'm talking about with Friday Night Lights? It's a, it's a, it's a great football movie, very inspiring. Um, you know, and so we're sitting there watching this movie knowing that we're gonna go play Millwood and we're sitting there, we're starting to think like, why not us, you know, like, we could go play those guys, we could do this, and then after we watch the movie, and we're all fired up, then they take us to this nice restaurant, uh, used to be nice in Oklahoma City, called Spaghetti Warehouse, and they feed us all, all you can eat spaghetti, and bread, and salad, and I mean, we're feeling big, like, we're feeling like kings, and so we pull into Millwood, and we're thinking, you know what, yeah, I think we're going to do this. Like, we're, we're going to go in there. We're going to kick their tail. And so uh, we're warming up. We're talking a little smack across the 50-yard line to them and all that. The game starts, and they run the kickoff all the way back, and the beatdown started, right? And it was, I mean, it was just a beatdown from start to finish. We didn't stand a shot, right? People are yakking up their spaghetti over here, and we're just ready to get on the bus, right? It was a meet-your-maker type of moment, like judgment had come, and here we were. We were getting just punished, right? In our text this morning, we're actually going to see this meet your maker language, and it's God saying it. God is going to say, prepare to meet your maker, and, and literally he's saying, time is up. Uh, your punishment is coming. You're about to meet me face to face, and it's not going to end well for you. And I think like if we were to start thinking about, if I were to say, uh, picture God, I think that's the God that a lot of us picture, right? Just maybe this angry God who's just like ready, just prepare to meet your maker. Maybe he's sitting there with arms crossed, scowl on the face, just kind of an old cranky man saying, get off my lawn kind of a thing, right? We have these preconceived notions whenever it comes, comes to God. And, and, and I think that we, we think that, but what, what I want us to see this morning, and he does say that, right? Like God does say, prepare to meet your maker. But what I want us to see this morning is I think he's different than that. I mean, think about it. Whenever you think of Jesus, you don't think those things, right? You don't think angry or whatever. You, whenever you think of Jesus, you think of gracious and loving and kind. And Jesus himself said that he is the exact imprint of the Father, right? 
He says in, in John uh, 14, 9, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so Jesus is God. And whenever we're talking in the Old Testament, we're talking Yahweh, um, we're talking uh, the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, God, okay? So I'm not trying to separate them out. I'm not trying to do a heresy or anything. You always want to sidestep those. But Jesus is God. And so from today in our text, I want us to meet God, okay? I want us to meet God. Before we do, let's pray together. And, and as I pray, why don't you just pray for yourself that, that God might speak to you in this moment. Let's pray. God, we, um, we just want to pause and we, we want to ask that as we open up your word that you would speak to us and that you would reveal new things about yourself, that you would remind us of your character and of your love for us any kind of preconceived ideas or, or notions that we may have about you, I pray, God, that you would correct those, that you would show us truly who you are this morning. And then I pray that we would have soft hearts to respond to you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. All right, if you have a Bible, open it with me to Amos chapter 4. Amos chapter 4. So last week we started this series in the book of Amos. And Amos is, uh, it's an Old Testament, it's called a minor prophet. That doesn't mean that he's not important. That just means it's a minor prophet book. It's shorter than say Isaiah or Jeremiah, some of those other prophetic books, right? Amos takes place. If you remember our Kings series that we just wrapped up, Amos takes place between 2 Kings chapter 14 and 2 Kings chapter 15. So that's where we're, we're at. We kind of hit the rewind button and we're back in 2 Kings a little bit. And Amos is this farmer guy. He's a farmer and he is from Judah, which is the nation in the south. And he goes to Israel in the north and he starts pronouncing judgment on them. If you remember in 2 Kings, we saw the fall of Israel. Assyria came in and wiped them out. So this has taken place before that happens. And whenever Amos goes into Israel, he starts just detailing out their sins. And he also talks about how God tried to draw them back to himself, okay? Tried to draw them back. But, but it, what we're gonna see here in Amos 4 is that the, the sins that they were committing, they were taking advantage of the powerless. We talked about that last week. Uh, Pastor Josh talked about that. A, and they were also practicing hypocritical worship. Their worship was just a sham. And it's not the main text of today, but that is a big thing that God hates, right? And we see that they were doing those things. And so the, the chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 6 through 11, talks about all these disasters and things that happened in the past, like droughts and famines and disease and, and death, that all these things were happening. And God used all those as a warning to, to draw his people back, Okay. And so that's what you'll see. If you, if you were to read that, that's what you would see. But over and over again, they just didn't listen. They didn't listen. They, they turned away. It says that five times there in verses 6 through 11. And now in our text, where we're going to zoom in this morning, God says that their time is up, that judgment is coming. Prepare to meet your maker, he says in verse 12. And this is war language, all right? This is, this is war language, that his punishment is coming for you. You remember as a kid, whenever your mom would say, like, you just wait until your dad gets home? I'd go in my room and, like, put on as many pairs of underwear as I could find, right? Like, that's terrifying whenever you hear that. And, and that's kind of what's happening here. It's terrifying language. Prepare to meet your God. 
And so there's a couple of things about his character that, uh, that I think that we see that I don't want us to miss. And the easy one is God's justice. Like we, we see that here, that God is just, that he is holy and he cannot tolerate sin. In fact, he wouldn't be God if he could. Okay? And so he can't tolerate sin. And that's easy to see in this passage. What might be a little fuzzier to see, but I think it's there, is God's compassion. And here's what I mean. I, 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 I think that I can imagine as God is saying these things that he's saying them through tears, like just through a broken heart. Like, I wanted to be near to you. I, I did everything in my power to draw you to myself, but you turned away and now it's too late. So his compassion, and that's what I really want us to, to see and talk about this morning, right? Today, I want us to see God for who he is, not according to our preconceived notions, but according to his own word, what he says about himself. And I want us to prepare to meet him as well before it's too late, right? So Amos chapter four, look at verse 12 with me. We're gonna just read verse 12 and 13 today. And we're gonna break this down, verse 12. Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He's here, the one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, reveals his thoughts to man, the one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. All right. So that's where we're gonna focus in today. I want us to just break this passage down. I want us to meet our God. And in here, we see five words. They're present, active, uh, they're called participles, but don't ask me what that actually means. I was terrible in English. But they're, they're ongoing, they're currently happening words. And what we're gonna see is we're gonna see his power and the intimacy of God, okay? And so if you're taking notes, I've got, I've got five points for you here this morning. We're just gonna look at each of those five words. Number one, he's, he's the one who forms the mountains. He forms the mountains. What that means is it's talking about how he is the creator God. He's the one who created it all. Genesis 1.1, you know that one, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think we all understand that. Whenever we think of God, we think of the one who created it all, right? Even my four-year-old son, Ames, like he understands this. He'll talk about how God created the clouds or how he created him, you know? And so we, we get that. But I want us to zoom in further on this and, and look at this, he, that he formed things and, and try and pick up just the intimacy that we see here. Psalm 95.5 says that the sea is his, that he made it, his hands formed the dry land. Like there's, there's relation there, right? That he's getting dirty. He's getting his hands dirty. He's making things. Isaiah 45.7, I form light and create darkness. I, I don't even know how you form light, but God does I make success and, and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all of these things. But like if we zoom in even further, I want us to see again his intentionality, his intimacy with this word formed. Genesis 2 verse 7. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground. And he breathed the breath of life into his nostrils and the man became a living being. It's this picture of God. He doesn't just say uh, with his words like man come alive. No, he, he bends down, he scoops up dirt, he, he gets his hands dirty and he forms man and then he bends down and he breathes breath into his nostrils. Like this is an intimate thing. Isaiah 44 too. This is the word of the Lord your maker, the one who 
formed you in the womb, right? So we see God, he is, he forms us. But again, if we zoom in a little bit closer, it, that, that word form is the same root Hebrew word in Isaiah 64, 8. It says, yet, Lord, you are our father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hands, right? That word potter is the same word formed here that he formed the mountains. It's, it's a picture. So um, one of my hobbies, one of the things I got into big time in college uh, was pottery. And you might be thinking, that's not very manly. And that, I don't care what you think. <laughs> um, I, I loved it, right? I took every semester that I could of advanced ceramics and really, really got into it. And so I have a little piece here of, of pottery that I was able to make. And, and, and the thing about pottery is whenever you, uh, you take basically, you take a ball of dirt, you know, and you throw it there on the wheel and you, you center it and you begin to kind of work on it and, and you pull up the pieces uh, of, of what's going on. And, and, and as you're making it, right, the potter is, is completely just in that moment. His hands are dirty. Like every movement is intentional. And so as it's centered, then you start to pull up the walls and then you start to, you start to focus on mo moving the sides around. And the whole time you're just kind of bent over it, completely focused in on what's going on. And that's, that's the picture of, of God. Hands dirty, full attention to it. Every movement is intentional. And I think some of us maybe just need to hear this morning that God formed you and he meant to. He meant to. Every, everything about you is intentional. And so you may not like what you see in the mirror, but God does. I saw a story this week about one of the Kardashian sisters. Um, she got kind of busted for one of the pictures she posted online. She had photoshopped out uh, her trap muscle, this muscle that connects your back to your neck. She, she photoshopped that out, so her neck just kind of went down in like a right angle. It's like, man, is that the point where we're at? Like, we don't even like our trap muscles anymore, you know? Like, I think social media in comparison is just making us crazy. But you aren't a mess up. You aren't worthless. The God of the universe intentionally formed you, right? That's the picture. He's the potter. Everything about him, he formed you with his hands. He got intimate and involved in the process. Number two, he creates the wind. He creates the wind is what it says. Again, this is just kind of talking about his power as the creator. So I'm, I'm from Oklahoma, I talk about that sometimes. And, and the thing about Oklahoma, if you've ever been there, is it's extremely flat, right? We don't have the beautiful trees that we have here. We don't have the, the, the beautiful mountains. Uh, I call them mountains. I don't know if you call them mountains or not, but what we have here are definitely mountains whenever you're from Oklahoma. And, and so one of the things about living there, because it's so flat, is um, we have amazing thunderstorms, right? And, and you can see them from forever away. You see them just forming and coming coming towards you, these big, massive thunderstorms. Here, I can't really see them very well from my backyard because I've got great trees that block the, block the view. But in Oklahoma, whenever you see a thunderstorm coming in, well, what do you do? You, you go out on the porch and you watch it, right? And it's like this moment of just, just being kind of amazed by like the, the power, how impressive it is. And so the thing about storms and, and specifically wind here 
is, is they're both um, intimidating and also helpful. Like they can, they can wipe something out, cause a lot of damage, or it can be like a cool breeze on a warm day. And the point is all of it comes from God. Psalm 135.7, he causes the clouds to rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings the wind from his storehouses. Like he's the creator, he's powerful, he does all of those things. But again, if we get a little bit deeper into what's going on here, that word wind is the Hebrew word ruach. And in the Bible, ruach is, is the same word that's used for, yeah, wind, um, but it's also used for breath. It's also the word that's used for the spirit of God. When the spirit hovers over the waters, that's that word, ruach. And so throughout the Bible, what we see is that God's breath gives life or it takes life. Genesis 2, 7 again. Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and then he bends down and breathes his own breath into the nostrils of man. Like, do you see the intimacy that's there? He doesn't just say, come alive. No, he, he bends down, gets dirty, breathes breath into the nostrils of man and man takes a breath, right? That's powerful. He doesn't just form us and wish us the best of luck. No, he bends down, gets close, and breathes life into us. So he creates life with his breath, but Job 4.9 also says that he takes life with his breath. Job 4.9, they, talking about those who sow trouble, says perish at a single blast from God and come to an end by the breath of his nostrils. The point here is this, he is the creator and he's the sustainer of life. That's what we see. So he, he forms the mountains, he creates the wind. Number three, he reveals his thoughts to man. He reveals his thoughts to man. This is speaking of, of God communicating with his people, which is mind-blowing on its own, right? That the God of the universe speaks to you, wants to have conversation with you, that he gave us his word. I mean, specifically in this passage, it's talking about how God had told them what he expected of them and they didn't live up to it. And so now judgment is coming to them. They don't have an excuse, but I don't want us to miss the point for us this morning is that he speaks to us, that he tells us that he loves us, that he created us, that he desires relationship with us. And as a good father, he, he gives guidance on how we should live in this world. Like we don't have to guess what God wants from us. He's told us, he's given us guidance for how to live in this world. See, I, I have three kids and, and as their dad, me teaching them to not run out into the street is loving, right? It's loving. If I'm, I'm not mean if, if, if I correct them or if I get onto them, if they chase a ball out, into the street. In fact, it would, I would be the opposite. I would be unloving if I didn't teach them to not run out in the street, right? And so, so that's, that's the point here that God in his great love for us has spoken to us. He's given us his word. He tells us what's expected of us. He tells us how to best function in this world that will run us down. And that's loving. That's loving. That's what a good father does that he reveals his thoughts to us. Number four, he makes the dawn out of the darkness. He makes the dawn out of the darkness. Next chapter over, Amos 5.8, Amos kind of flips it a little bit and says that he's the one who turns darkness into dawn, right? So he, he makes 
dawn out of darkness and he also turns the darkness back into dawn. See, this is telling us that he maintains the natural order of things. The years and the seasons and how our world just floats around the sun at just the right distance, at just the right speed so we don't all go flying off into outer space. Like somehow he, he does all of those things and that's kind of big for our brain to comprehend but also I think the point here is that he controls each day from dawn to darkness and darkness back into dawn. He controls each day. And so there's, there's this big question that the book of Amos is asking um, throughout, right? Does God really care about the details of our lives? And what we see over and over through the book of Amos is yes, he does. He cares how you live your day. He cares how you treat people. He cares how you interact in this world. Like, yes, he cares about the details of our day. And in fact, he doesn't just speak to them. It says that he roars at them like a lion. There's this imagery throughout the book of Amos of this lion, and, and that's God speaking towards the issues of our lives. And what we see is that he created and he cares for our 24 hours. He's intimately involved in your day, right? He's the keeper of your day. Like, notice the intimacy again of, of God. That he is actually involved in the details of our day. The way that you spend your day matters to him. The, the things that you do, the conversations that you have, the people that you help, all of these things matter to God and he's right there with you through all of them. Right there with you, intimately involved in your 24 hours. So he, he's there. He, he turns darkness into dawn. And number five says that he strides on the heights. He strides on the heights. That word heights is literally uh, translated as high places. If you remember in our, our series through the book of Kings, first and second Kings talked a lot about high places, right? And we talked about how that meant uh, these were places that they would go up onto the mountain, they would build altars and offer sacrifices to all these fake gods and, and, and different things. And so that's what the high places represent, idol worship, okay? Idol worship. And whenever it says that God strides on the high places, like picture this, it's God stepping out of heaven and stepping down onto those places where the worship of fake gods is going on and he just kind of owns it just dominant, it just kind of struts, right? That God strides on those places where those fake gods are being worshiped. Do you remember as a kid playing a game, uh, King of the Mountain or King of the Hill, something like that? Yeah. We used to play that a lot. We would go to um, the old basketball gym at Oklahoma Baptist University, me and some friends, and they had this area where the pole vaulters had all their mats stacked up where they would practice, you know? And uh, so they, they piled them up. And for kids, man, that's, that, that's a jackpot, right? And so we would play King of the Mountain on these, on these pads and we would climb up to the top and be throwing each other off of there and whoever could stay on top the longest, they're the king, right? And we played that a ton until Michael snapped his glasses in half and his mom got mad, right? But we would play that. And that's kind of what I see here is that God is just owning those high places. He, he's the king of the mountain. Like he, he is owning those places and the fake gods. Do you remember um, in our King series, 1 Kings chapter 18, I believe it is, right? The showdown on Mount Carmel between Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal. 
What happens? Like Elijah says, yeah, call out to your fake God. Dance all day and see if he answers. And so they do. They, they dance around all day and they're trying to get their God to light up this, this altar and, and consume the sacrifice. And Elijah's mocking him. Where'd he go? Can he not hear you? Maybe he's in the bathroom. And, and Baal never answers, never does. But as soon as Elijah steps up and he prays to the one true God, fire comes, sacrifice is lit. It's this, right? That he strides on the high places. That he owns them. That he dominates all those other fake gods. And, and what we see here in Amos 4.13, that he strides on the high places, it's God's power is on display over anything and everything that tries to stand next to him. That he alone is God. He alone is God. But, but don't miss this. Like if, again, if we zoom in closer and see the intimacy of the Lord, that God isn't just out there somewhere. He's not just out there somewhere. He doesn't just leave us here to kind of figure it all out. No, no. He steps into our world and he reigns above it all. He steps in gets his hands dirty, gets involved in our day. And he says, I am the one true God. He is here. Verse 13 says, our God is here. He is with us. In the New Testament, Jesus, the third person of the triune God, steps out of heaven, steps into earth. And he is called what? Do you remember? Emmanuel which means he's with us. He's with us. And so like you and I, we have the benefit of living this side of the cross, right? We do. We have the good news. We, we, we know this, the salvation story of the cross and what Jesus has come to, to do for us. But that doesn't mean that we can just forget about the judgment of God. Like this is war language that he is here and he is the Lord of armies. And so if we just ignore the fact that he has to punish sin, that he's a just and holy God, he can't look on sin. Like if we ignore the fact that he has to punish sin, then we ignore a major part of his character. It's who he is. And so the message of the gospel is not that God just threw his justice out the window. It's not that he doesn't still have wrath and punishment toward sin. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ stepped in and he absorbed the punishment that we rode. That there is a infinitely holy God. And you and I have crossed him. Our sin separates us from him. He desires relationship with us, but we just continually turn away like the people here in Israel. We continually turn away. And because he's good and because he's just, he has to punish that. But Jesus steps into this earth. He puts on skin and bone, lives a life that we couldn't. He was perfect. Never once sinned. Spotless sacrifice that came to willingly lay down his life on a cross for you and for me. And he is with us and he came to do what we couldn't do. And so he dies on a cross. They put him in a grave because he's dead. And three days later, he raises from the dead. 
And when he does, he offers us life. And now he is ascended. He is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And you know what he's doing right now? He's praying for you. And he's praying for me. He's interceding on our behalf. That's how good our God is. He doesn't just create us and leave us alone. He forms us. He gets his hands dirty, breathes life into us. He reveals his word to us. He speaks us. He teaches us the way to live. He cares about our day. And he teaches us that he alone is God. And so now the question is, how do we respond? How do we respond? How do we do what this says? How do we prepare to meet our God? Because the truth is, every single one of us will meet him face to face sooner or later. So how do we prepare? The answer is to turn towards him, respond in faith towards him, accept the free gift of salvation that he offers. Don't turn away from him. That's what they were doing here in Amos chapter four. They says five times God was trying to draw them in and they just kept turning away. And so this period that you and I live in right now, this side of eternity is grace. It's love. It's God putting his, his justice aside just for a bit to offer us grace through Jesus. And so we prepare to meet him by turning to Jesus and offering our life to him. But I wanna encourage you, prepare to meet your God because at some point time will run out and you will meet him. And so the question for us this morning, are you prepared? And do you know this God? Thank you for listening to the preaching and teaching ministry of Second Baptist. We hope that we will see you in person this next Sunday. To find more information about service times, location, and ministry offerings, visit mysecond.family. Thank you for listening.